young people, young children, and their families have this this visceral reaction to hearing music from these films shows me that people like orchestral music. That's not the problem. The problem we have to think about is the method of delivery and the experience around around orchestral music. National Orchestral Institute. National Orchestral Institute. National Orchestral Institute. Welcome to the National Orchestral Institute and Festivals podcast series. I'm your host, Robert Linton. And throughout this year's edition of NOI at the Clarice, I've been sitting down with visiting artists, administrators, composers, and participants in the festival for brief question and answer sessions. Today I got to sit down with Richard Sherbo, the director of the National Orchestral Institute and Festival. After four weeks of constant work, Richard got the chance to reflect on what he hopes to see NOI achieving, what his favorite moments of this year's festival have been, and how his work outside of NOI impacts him. This is your first year as the director of NOI, but I know you've been involved for years before this. So how did you initially get involved with this organization? So I first started with NOI in 2002 when I was um, entering the graduate conducting program here at the University of Maryland. And my assistantship was to work with Jim Ross as manager of the program. This, the program is structured a little differently now, but at that point, Jim Ross was the artistic director and there were two graduate students uh, supporting him in that role. So that's where I first got my start. And I continued in that for two years. And um, after a short break, the University of Maryland School of Music, which at the time was the home for NOI, asked me to come back and do the audition tour. So I would go on the road every January and February, sometimes for four or five weeks in a row, and go to all the cities and hear the auditions. And I did that for two or three years. Jim Ross realized that there was a need for more of a full-time employee supporting NOI. So around 2006 or 7, I started working in a full-time capacity to support NOI. You mentioned that the organization is a little bit different, and I know you've implemented a lot of different changes this year, which we can get to in a minute here. But what would you say your goal as director of NOI is both personally and for the organization and the festival itself? What I really hope for NOI and my my main goal is to prepare the young musicians that come through this program to be successful in the careers ahead of them, and, and that NOI is representative of what the future of orchestral music looks like. So there's sort of this this dual challenge of both helping current students prepare for the system that's currently in place. So preparing your audition excerpts and preparing for the structures of, of symphony orchestras that exist currently. But I also view NOI's role as preparing them to be thinkers and sort of change agents for classical music and orchestral music uh, in the future. So we try to have this, I, I was thinking of this analogy the other day, my, um, I come from a family of carpenters and I remember my brother who was a you know, very talented carpenter had, you know, has a tool belt, right? And so every, I, as a kid, I was so fascinated that every possible tool was on the tool belt. So if you're up on the roof or you're in the attic, there's like, oh, you have this, you have five different types of nails and you have three different hammers and you have all these things. So I view NOI sort of as this tool belt that we're sort of giving to these musicians so that they can enter 
really a, a sort of changing landscape of orchestral music, and we want them to be both prepared and have all these tools, but also be thinkers and, and change agents and advocates for a bright and new future. I really like that analogy, and I think it works really well with what I've seen here at NOI. Mm -hmm. What would you say the tools, to keep the analogy going, what are the tools that we're giving students here? Like, what are the things that they need to be prepared for going out as future orchestral musicians? I think the the most basic tool, which isn't changing, is, of course, excellence. You have to be an excellent musician. In fact, it's getting harder and harder to win an orchestral job as we currently know it, right? So to win a position in the Philadelphia Orchestra or to win an audition with the you know San Francisco Symphony, one of the faculty members last year referred to referred to it as landing on the moon. I mean, that's really how special these positions are. So to have alumni of the institute to go on and, and win many, many prestigious positions makes me very proud of what we're doing. So we obviously want to prepare them for that. We want to make sure that they're connecting with great musicians while they're at NOI to sort of understand the language of the audition process and understand how to be successful there. But more than that, what we try to do at NOI is prepare them for the new demands that are coming to, that's a part of many orchestral positions, large and small. So being skilled at communicating with audiences is something so fundamental uh, that we all need to do. And it's really becoming a core part of what we have to do as classical musicians. So a lot of the work we do at NOI focuses on making sure that not only are the performers playing very well, well and you know being the best musicians they can and, and soaking in all this knowledge from these amazing coaches we bring in but also creating and designing community engagement projects speaking before concerts meeting donors putting them in situations that maybe they've never been in before but are really important for them in their future careers the engagement aspect is one that we've touched on a lot both in this podcast series and at noi in general um you know, Jim Underkoffler came and gave us a seminar and told us that we're no longer allowed to say community outreach. That is a verboten <laughs> phrase. Um, but the community engagement that we're doing, you make that a requirement for all musicians here at NOI. Why do you feel that's so important? Well, I think it gets back to this advocacy portion that we all need to do as artists. So on the first day of NOI, when we do the welcome orientation, I put out there very clearly to the entire orchestra that everyone here in this program would be engaged in some sort of community engagement project. That project may mean performing at Riderwood, which is a retirement village nearby, retirement community, or it could be performing on the Peter and the Wolf concert. It could be designing a program to take into one of our local elementary schools. It could be dining with donors, meeting donors, attending receptions, these sorts of things. But the idea that I wanted to place out there very clearly from the start of NOI is that you will and you will be doing a project like this. And more importantly, this is what we all need to be doing as musicians. I mean, our our world and in some ways classical music in general and orchestral music needs as much help as it can get from people that love it and every one of these students they're here because they love playing and they love this orchestral music we need to be better at communicating that to our audiences and so that's something that's really important and really a core of what i think we do here at, at the national orchestral institute we'll get to the big programs in a second but one of the engagement things that you mentioned 
was the Peter and the Wolf concerts. For those that didn't get to attend them, the structure was we had chamber ensembles playing chamber music throughout the festival. So what we did was we read children's books and had the chamber ensembles play in the background in a really cool narrative style. And then we did Peter and the Wolf. As much as I love all of the music we've done, for my money, that was the coolest concert here. How did that idea come about? So I have to give credit to our past artistic director, James Underpoffler, who spoke to you as, I think, one of our first podcasts in the series. But um, when we looked at creating a family concert, the idea of asking these chamber ensembles to take a piece of music that they're already working on, so take... Um, you know, I'm trying to think of one of the pieces. Uh, Listoire de Soldat was one of the pieces. The Soldier's Tale uh, by Stravinsky. Um, they paired that piece with the little engine that could. And it involves taking snippets of the music, cutting it up in such a way so that as someone reads the book, the music from The Soldier's Tale can illustrate and sort of provide a colorful narrative. And it is amazing how first of all, how much fun that is, and the, the groups really have a lot of fun putting it together, and also how effective it is. You know, one would never think that, you know, Stravinsky's Soldier's Tale would match up with the little <laughs> engine that could, but it was incredibly, <laughs> it was incredibly colorful, and the, and the kids really, uh, the, the kids attending the concert really enjoyed it. So that's really the genesis of that project, and it's worked so well, and one of the reasons that we've kept doing this project is because it utilizes music that they're already learning. So their time here at NOI is really brief. The idea of learning a whole other set of music just for the family concert or just for a school concert, we don't have that t luxury of time in a, a four-week festival. So we sort of ask them to draw on their creative abilities and utilize the music that they are already learning and playing and receiving coachings on. So that's worked really well for us, and it's resulted in some really, really colorful family concerts. Watching the kids just absolutely light up and then get to interact with the musicians afterwards was the best part of mm. this whole festival, I thought. And that's saying a lot, given how great mm -hmm. the other concerts were. And you mentioned it's a very brief amount of time we have here, and yet you were able to bring in John Morris Russell. You were able to bring in James Ross. You brought in Teddy Abrams. This week we have Ozma Vanska. That's an incredible lineup for four weeks. How do you manage to get all of these pieces together? Very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> it really does come down to being organized. This is sort of the work that a lot of orchestras go through. I mean, they plan 52 weeks of conductors and soloists and it, that's incredibly complex so in some ways NOI is four weeks is manageable in that regard but the challenge is that because we have so few weeks the decisions are that much for me at least as director I view my decisions as that much more potent because there's really no time to mess up there's no time to, to say oops because you know a whole week is one quarter of the festival so I really think carefully about the experience of the students globally from the moment they arrive to the moment they leave. And if things work out well with scheduling, hopefully we have a great combination of repertoire. We have a great combination of conductors, a great combination of, of faculty coaches that offer a really diverse experience so that people feel like there's motion and sort of growth within the festival. So the way this year was structured, for example, the, big, the first big orchestra concert with Jim Ross was also a recording session with Naxos and Sam Adams, which that was such a 
intense experience and really unique in one way. And then we move from that to Teddy Abrams week where we're playing these massively, um, just massive pieces, Mahler's First Symphony, Debussy, Je, Ravel of Us, um, really in in a more standard way. So the coaches are working with the students and moving towards a final concert at the end of the week. It had a very different feeling than the recording week with Naxos before. And now this week with just a master like Osmo Vanska conducting, you know, one of the world's finest, if not the world's finest Finnish conductor conducting Sibelius's Second Symphony, perhaps one of the finest pieces of Finnish music. Who can, who can, who can't be excited about that? I mean, the, the feeling in the rehearsal hall the whole week has just been outstanding, um, and the musicians are on cloud nine working with him. The programming for this festival has been pretty cutting edge. I've been really shocked. I, it dawned on me listening to last week's concert with Je Lavals and, and Mahler. The amount of pre-20th century rep we've done has been really small, and yet it's also a really accessible repertoire, I think. That must be a tough balance to strike, right? I think, so getting back to this idea of thinking about the students' global experience while they're here, I spend a lot of time working on what the repertoire is like for any student that comes here. Because first of all, they want, so back to this question of preparing for the current orchestral world, they have a need, they're coming to NOI because they want to learn some of the core repertory under great conductors and with great faculty coaches. So our programming has to acknowledge that. Their excerpts, their audition excerpts are drawn from this repertory. So if they can have the experience of performing it, hopefully not just at NOI, but numerous times throughout their education, that's only gonna make them better as, as musicians. So I think about how we can balance what might be called the core repertory, the Beethoven, the Haydn, the Mozart, with the larger Germanic and French pieces of the Romantic era, so like Ravel and Debussy and, and Mahler, of course, and then, of course, acknowledging the 20th and 21st century, which is so important now to any future musician's career as being skilled and performing the music of our time. So we really have, I mean, this year in some ways really hit on almost all of those areas. It's interesting you pointed out, though, that it's a lot of 20th and 20th century works because some of the pieces feel, as you say, really accessible and part of the core repertory. I think that's, I think that's an interesting question to ask ourselves. Are we finally reaching the point where 20, early 20th century music, um, even up to 1930 or 1950, is starting to now feel like core repertory? That would be really great if that was the case so that we can start focusing on, you know, music written, written, you know, in the last 20 years or so. That would be absolutely fantastic. It's been fascinating, and the the breadth of pieces that we've done have been really refreshing to hear. It's it's a concert series you're not going to get anywhere else, which is great. What has been from this cycle your favorite moment of NOI 2016? Oh gosh, that's a really tough question. My favorite moment. Well, I have a few. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the um, politically correct avenue here and not choose just one. So. This year we made a significant attempt to reach our immediate community to help support and be a part of our musicians' lives while they're here at NOI. So we started a group called Ignite, which is a group of community members from the um, close-in areas around the university to support the students. And four different families hosted 
dinners at their homes for 10 to 12 students on each night. And we did two weekends of this. And visiting those homes, seeing our NOI students with our uh, Ignite group families, everyone having just a relaxing Sunday afternoon, eating great food, our musicians, our NOI musicians meeting with our community members, it was really powerful for me to see how how much people love the connection with musicians that this is really part of this is something we need to carry with us and understand that when people come to concerts they're coming to hear the music but they are also really in love with the people on stage and they're really curious about what's happening and about these musicians lives and about how they got to where they are and as much as we can do to sort of illuminate that side of the musical process is going to help us in our future so going to these dinners at, at our host families it was just great to see everyone having a great time and see our see the looks on everyone's faces enjoying the dinners and, and the food so that was really a special moment as part of this year's festival i I can't help but say, you know, having Osmo Vanska here and, you know, reaching the, the end, the, the fourth movement of Sibelius's second symphony, it gets me every time. And to have someone of his stature and someone, you know, the interpretation and the rehearsal work that's happening on stage has just been incredible. And so every time we get to that spot in rehearsal, I just sort of kind of grab the arm of my chair in the rehearsal, in the hall and think, oh my gosh, this is really happening, this is great. And of course, the orchestra sounds incredible. They're, they're just playing so well this week. So that's been a really, really special moment as well. There's really so many of them. I could keep going. There's so many. <laughs> Someone's going to listen to this and, and be upset that they weren't included in the, in, in the special moment. But, you know, we've had some great, great audiences. Our opening Pops concert with John Morris Russell, we had just uh, just amazing attendance and what he was able to do with the music of John Williams. So I was sitting in a row and there were about four or five kids a couple seats down from me and every time John would grab the mic and say, and now we're going to play the music from Harry Potter and every people would gasp like, I know that. And just, you know, it's, it's really good music, first of all. It's really great music and to see young people, young children, and their families have this this visceral reaction to hearing music from these films shows me that people like orchestral music. That's not the problem. The problem we have to think about is the method of delivery and the experience around around orchestral music. So that was a really uh, also interesting and favorite moment for me. I'm glad. We could just do half an hour on the best moments from this whole thing. Richard's favorite moments from NOI 2016. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. We'll, we'll make that episode number two here. Finally, I just want to branch out a little bit from NOI because there is more to you than that. You are the artistic director and founder of the Inscape Ensemble in D.C., a chamber orchestra that primarily trades in 20th and 21st century music. Right. I've, so... Um, this is a group I started a little over 10 years ago, Inscape Chamber Orchestra, and we're primarily a 20th, 21st century music group that also plays, um, actually we play all we play all types of music. So I, I actually resist the urge to, everyone wants to put us in this box of being a new music ensemble because it feels really neat and tidy to say, oh, that's the new music ensemble, and then people understand what you do. Uh, actually, our brand of programming is uh, encompasses more than that. So our our programming, you will see, 
you know, maybe a world premiere, um, a, a piece written in the last 10 to 20 years alongside of Brahms, alongside of uh, Prokofiev, alongside of Schoenberg. So we really think about the um, concert thematically and sort of try to tell a story oftentimes in what we do. So as it happens, we do play a lot of uh, 20th, 21st century music and uh, actively commission a lot of works as well. And what from that experience are you able to draw on here and vice versa? Because it's an awfully successful ensemble, Grammy nominated for your, which album was it? It was the... Uh, the Sprung, Rhythm, Sprung Rhythm, which was our yeah. first album. It received a Grammy nomination for Best Surround Sound, which uh, that was a real, real surprise to all of us and really fun. We put a lot of work into that album and worked with a great uh, record label, Sona Luminous, and I'm really proud of, really proud of that album. So I think how that informs my work at NOI, it, it does a few things. I'm an advocate and believer in commissioning and performing the music of our time, right? So composers uh, that are still writing music, and I want to keep pushing that with the future of the National Orchestral Institute, and we're moving in that direction. This year we had Sam Adams here, so that was a big step. But this is this is so important to be creating new work and be advocates for new work, and I think we can do more of that at NOI in the future. Also, I think that I embody my trajectory in, as a, my career in, in music has sort of embodied a new avenue that I think a lot of people will follow, which is, you know, I went, I did my undergraduate in bassoon, I studied conducting for my grad school, I kind of fell into arts administration. It wasn't a goal of mine, but I fell into it and and seemed to be somewhat successful at it and enjoyed the work. But all the while, I realized that if I wanted to remain active as a musician, if I wanted to sort of meld these two together, I was going to have to create my own path. And so that's where, in starting Inscape, that was sort of my avenue towards keeping that performance side of what I do alive. And so I think for, um, for a lot of the young musicians here at NOI going forward, some of the traditional paths towards success in, in orchestral music may not be there for them. And so I think I illustrate in a way and one example of how to be successful and, and merge a number of different interests together. Thanks so much to Richard for taking the time to talk. You can find more about him on his website, richardsherbo.com. That's R-I-C-H-A-R-D-S-C-E-R-B-O.com. If you've missed any of our previous episodes, including conversations with Jim Underkoffler, Sam Adams, and Teddy Abrams, you can find them on iTunes, Google Play Music, or SoundCloud. On the first two, just search National Orchestral Institute and subscribe. Or you can follow our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash National Orchestral Institute. The National Orchestral Institute and Festival is presented annually by the Clarice in College Park, Maryland. The Clarice is helping to build the future of the arts by educating, training, and presenting the next generation of creative innovators. With performances year-round, there's always something to experience at the Clarice. Check out our schedule by visiting theclarice.umd.edu or by finding us on Facebook under The Clarice. And thanks as always for listening.